Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I think it was for my birthday, but I was six years old, when uh, I got what I thought was the greatest gift that any person could ever receive. You say, what was it? A BB gun. Right? Uh, we were up at my grandparents' house, farm in uh, McBain, Michigan, and right next to the, the old family homestead was an orchard, and, and I took my gun out there and tried to shoot some birds. I know that's bad, but that's what we did back then, okay? But I thought there could be no greater present than a BB gun. That's what I wanted, all right? But the greatest gift isn't what you want, it's what you really need. Right? Something that's impactful, something that's powerful. And it's something that every parent and every grandparent can give. And you say, what is it? It's prayer and being an example to your children and grandchildren. Uh, Jeannie and I have four kids. They're all grown. Our, our youngest is 33. We have 19 grandchildren. Okay. Now, let me say this. As a parent... You think when they leave, your job is over, but it's not. Because the truth is, I, I said this to Jeannie one day. I said that you're never doing better than your kids. Because even when they're 40, when they hurt, you hurt. Right? When they rejoice, you rejoice. Right? Now, there, there are no such thing as perfect parents. There are none. Every parent, we make mistakes. The psalmist wrote this in Psalms 101. He said, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will it come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. And I will set, not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. And then he says, it will not cling to me. He's saying, look, I want to do right in more than ever. I want to do right in my house. I want to do right for my family. Right? I want to be an example to them. I, I don't want to disappoint them. In fact, we could probably really say this, that success is when those that know you the best and are the closest to you respect you and love you the most. That's, that's, that's success. Right? And it's those within your own house. When, when Rahab, the children of Israel are coming into the promised land, and uh, Rahab is, is part of the enemy nation, but she receives the spies and says, this is, I know your God is God in heaven above and on earth beneath and that he's given you the land. She says, so I want you to say, listen, I want you to save me and my father's house and my father's house. Do you know, it, when you get right with God, you don't want to just get right with God. You want to get right with God and your house. In fact, God really is a God of households. Right? That's why the Bible says when one is a believer, that the other is sanctified. In other words, it literally means that the other becomes a target for heaven. God doesn't just want you. He wants you. He wants your spouse and he wants your kids and he wants your grandkids. He wants the whole shooting match. And the Bible literally says your children, they're sanctified. They're a target for heaven. And your spouse, they're a target 
They were a target. God said this about uh, Abraham in, in Genesis 18. He says, for I know him in order that he may command his children in his household after him. Now he's saying Abraham is going to be an example to his family, and, and he's going to make sure that his family, just like he serves God, his family is going to serve God. I'm sure Abraham prayed for his children, but I think it's really interesting that when we pray, very often God has us be part of the answer to the prayer. In other words, he has us be the legs to the prayer. Right? In fact, really, when you get bothered by something and you start praying about it, it's a pretty good sign that God has assigned you to be a part of the answer. Right? When Nehemiah hears that the walls of Jerusalem are, are, are fallen flat and and the reproach is on the city. He begins to pray. But then the Bible says, then God spoke to him and put in his heart to go back and to work, to build up those walls of Jerusalem. Really, the greatest thing that any of us can ever do is to leave our faith to our children, that the faith that's in your heart passes on to your children and onto your children's children. Paul is speaking to Timothy, Timothy is uh, now the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and Nero has become the emperor, and there's persecution, and some of the people in the church have lost their lives, and others are having their homes and their businesses confiscated. And he said this, he says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. The greatest thing you can do for your children, listen, is not leave them a, a large financial inheritance, and it's not taking them someplace so they have a great time. The greatest thing you can do for your children is to make sure the faith that's in your heart passes to their heart. Now, Samuel said this. He said, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord and cease to pray for you. Samuel considered it a sin to not pray. So often for us, prayer seems to be the last thing that we do, but it ought to be the first thing that we do. So this message is to parents, it's to grandparents, but really even particularly today, I want to talk to fathers. Now, there is what we refer to in Christendom, and particularly in, in theological circles, as relational authority. Now, you can recognize it in, if uh, you're a parent and your children do something wrong. How many of you know you're responsible, you discipline your children? Not somebody down the street. Because you've got relationship with them. A man brings his son to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, he said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. He was saying the father, his faith would work for his child. You see, those that are close to you in your family, you've got relational authority in the spiritual realm. And in your prayers, in your declarations of faith, are strongest and have the most effect to those that are the closest to you. You can pray for anybody, right? But when somebody is part of your family, you've got more authority 
in their life. In fact, Jesus is saying, look, you think it's just up to me? It's not just up to me. If you can believe, something's going to happen. He said, if you can't believe, nothing's going to happen. First right? uh, Corinthians 11 and verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, I, I know we're living in a day when, when we consider every, the genders to be equal. However, in the family structure, God says that the man is the head of the home. And really what that means to us today is this. It means that the man has more authority spiritually in the home. Right? He is the head of the home. And men, I want to encourage you to stand up, to pray for protection, to pray prayers of consecration, prayers for the health of your family, prayers that the will of God be done in your family, prayers about the future of your children, your grandchildren. You know, before our kids were ever born, before they, were, they ever came out of the womb, we'd already laid hands on them and prayed for their spouses. Yeah, we're, we're looking ahead, right? Now, now, and you know this, I think you know this, your kids need prayer. They need prayer. Scientific research has shown that the frontal lobe is not fully developed, all right, especially in boys, until they're 25 years old. What do you say? What's that mean? That means they don't have any good sense, all right? This is the part of the brain that controls your risk-taking. I mean, I look back at our boys, and they just did some dumb stuff. I probably did too, but it didn't seem like it at the time because my frontal lobe was not ready yet. <laughs> I mean, they just need prayer, right? We, how many know we can't prepare our kids for every situation, but we can pray over our kids, right? And we can teach our children to take responsibility. When Adam and Eve sin, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, and the same thing is still going on today. I've actually got some uh, insurance forms, the answers that people gave on an insurance form after they were in an automobile accident. Uh, one man wrote, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law and headed over the embankment. <laughs> I collided with a stationary truck that was coming the other way. A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. An invisible car came out of nowhere struck my car and vanished. Coming home, I drove into the wrong driveway and collided with a tree I don't have. <laughs> to avoid hitting the bumper of the car in front of me, I struck a pedestrian. I was sure the old fellow would never make it to the other side of the road, so I struck him. The pedestrian had no idea which way to run as I ran him over. I saw... <laughs> I saw a slow-moving, sad-faced gentleman as he bounced off the roof of my car. <laughs> the direct cause of the accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> the telephone pole was approaching. I was attempting to swerve out of its way when it struck the front end of my car. <laughs> when I saw I couldn't avoid a collision, I stepped on the gas and cracked into the other car. <laughs> no one was to blame for the accident but it would have never happened if the other driver had been alert. <laughs> the pedestrian ran for the pavement, but I got him. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> the accident was caused by my, my waving at the man that I hit last week. <laughs> oh. We need prayers for protection. Isaiah 54 in verse 17 says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Listen, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Notice that, it, that, that, that the Bible is telling us that a tongue, that words that are spoken, things that are said about us, that they can bind us. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. You know, when that tongue rises up, when there's a situation, when there's a giant, when there's a mountain, when there's a trial, we need to begin to speak. We need to begin to speak, not just for ourselves, but speak for our family. In Psalms 91, it says, no evil will befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he's given his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, we think, yeah, the Lord gives the angels charge over us. Some of us don't realize that our words actually put angels on assignment. In Psalms 103 and verse 20, it says, Bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. When you and I give voice to the word of God, when we confess the word of God, angels begin to be activated and begin to take charge over us and keep us. Angels perform their job as guards and protectors when we speak the word of God. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 18, he said that their angels in heaven are always before the face of the Father. Now, he's speaking about children, and he's saying that's where we get our, the scriptures, where we get the, the, the thought of guardian angels. And there really are guardian angels. But you don't lose your guardian angel when you're 12. However, I think most angels are bored. They're probably getting unemployment checks nowadays. <laughs> because we're not, we're not giving voice to his word. But when we give voice to his word, see, you don't lose that angel again when you're seven years old or 12 years old. Right? But we need to give voice. And when we give voice, the Bible says the angels begin to move. They begin to protect. They begin to guard when we begin to speak God's word. Your prayers, whether you realize it or not, they keep working. You, you may not see something happen, but things are happening nevertheless. In John 17, in verse 20, it said, Jesus is praying. He said, I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know, we are people today that Jesus prayed for because his disciples spoke the word to somebody who spoke the word, who spoke the word, who spoke the word, who spoke the word, and you follow it all the way down. It comes to you and to me. We may not see things happening, but when we pray, it really does make a difference. Abraham is praying to God. God has said, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom, and Abraham's nephew, Lot, is living there. And so Abraham prays and says, if there's 50 righteous in the city, will you spare the whole city? And God says, yes. And he goes 45, and then he goes to 40, he goes to 30, he goes to 20. And he said, just let me 
mentioned one more time. If you find 10 righteous in the city, will you spare the whole city? And God said, yes, I'll spare the whole city. But there weren't 10 righteous there. But the Bible says, and it came to pass when God destroyed the city of the plains that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out in the midst of the overthrow. In other words, God did even more than Abraham prayed. Abraham stopped, but he was concerned for his nephew. But God said, you know, you didn't go all the way down to one, but because of Lot, I'm going to, I'm going to, because of your prayer, I'm going to deliver Lot and I'm going to deliver his family. God delivered not, Lot, not because he deserved it, but he delivered Lot because Abraham prayed. How many of you are glad we don't get what we deserve? Right? But your prayers can make a difference, right? You know, we need to make sure that our children are exposed to the word of God and worship. And even more than that, that they realize that what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33 is true, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I feel today like I'm preaching to the choir, right? You say, why? It's June in Michigan. It's a beautiful day. But you know, there are many people who go to church when it's not a beautiful day. They show up on rainy days and when there's not too much snow, right? But otherwise, it's like, well, you know, we can go golfing today. We can go to the lake today. We can do this today. We can do that today. You know, and, and so we need to create memories for our family. Well, the most important memory that you can create, right, is to seek first the kingdom of God. That's the most important memory that you can create. So, so I want to teach you something. I want you to repeat this. Now, when, when somebody says to you, hey, let's go... Let's go for dinner on Sunday. You say, yes, right after church. And when they say, hey, let's go golfing on Sunday, you say, yes, right after church. And when they say, let's go to the lake, what do you say? You got it. You got it. Seek first the kingdom. Put first the kingdom. Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> She's kind of like Jesus. Jeannie, actually. <laughs> Jesus has used her many times to speak to me. <laughs> but she said this to me years ago. She says, our compromises will become our children's norms. Our compromises will become our children's norms. And it really is true. What you do, you think you do it once in a while. But to them, it, it, it just sets the entire stage. It becomes the plumb line. Right? So we want to make sure we're keeping... The kingdom of God is our number one pursuit. You know, and when, uh, well, this is actually our third sanctuary before we were on 44th Street in a green pool barn. And uh, there, were, there was a time when we had a Saturday night service. We had four Sunday morning services and two Sunday night services just to accommodate the crowd. Right? Our kids went to every service, every single one. And you know, it didn't hurt him at all. In fact, we got them working in church and they're still working in church. They're still there. We got them participating. And so he said, well, my, my, my kids don't have any friends at church. Well, the most important friend they can make is God. And you need to get them in the presence of the word of God, in the presence of the spirit of God, get them involved in worship, that they'll learn to be a friend of God. You know, the book of Acts is written to Theophilus. 
And that name actually means friend of God. Friend of God. The book of Luke and the book of Acts are both written to somebody. And somebody says, was he a real man? Maybe. But it's written to everybody who's a friend of God. A friend of God. All right? When it comes to family, there should never, never be any time when there's more grace extended than to your family. And and, and I I say this because sometimes there's a family member, maybe even more than one, that they're away from God, right? Uh, Jesus tells the story about a prodigal who came to his dad and said, hey, give me my inheritance now. I want to go. And he takes it. He goes to a far country, loses it at all in prodigal living. Finally, there's a famine. And the Bible, Jesus said, but when he came to himself, he said, how many fathers, how many of my father's hired servants don't have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? He said, I will arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He left saying, give me, but he came back saying, make me. The interesting thing is when the father saw him afar off, the Bible says he got up and he ran to meet that son. You know, there could be a time where in your home, there's somebody who's living a completely different life. And they're bringing things into your home and doing things in your home that should not be in your home. And you may have to ask them to leave. But they're, they're, you, you, if you ever have that happen, you need to let them know we love you and we are always here for you. You can always come back. Right? We, we are not rejecting you. We're just rejecting ungodly behavior that's in your life. Right? So we, we need to extend that grace. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, Whose minds the God of this age have blinded, who do not believe, least the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the Bible says there's people that the devil has blinded their eyes, right? But fortunately, Jesus said about you and me, he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we can bind the devil that's blinding our relatives' eyes, our children's eyes, our brothers' and sisters' eyes. We can bind them, right? And and I believe that when we pray before the problem comes, we have less problems, right? We need to begin to speak blessing over our family. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. God said in Isaiah 57, he said, I create the fruit of the lips. He says, you speak it and I create it. It comes to pass. I went to Israel the first time in 1984, spent a Shabbat meal, a Friday evening meal with a religious Jewish family. And uh, we we go regularly now. We're kind of on hold with this whole COVID thing. And uh, the same thing happens when we go and we spend some time with Rabbi Shmuel. During that meal, part of the process, the children line up next to their father and literally sit on his knee. Seen it happen to 
kids that are 20 years old. The father lays their hands on them and speaks a blessing, speaks a blessing over them. Now, when God is, listen, I want you to, I want you to understand that that is just not something that's a Jewish tradition, right? And God is teaching the children of Israel how to bless each other. He says, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you bless the children of Israel. So this is how you bless. Say to them, how do you bless them? You say to them because there is power in the words that you speak. And especially as parents, because of that relational authority, there is so much impact and so much power, spiritual power in what you say. He says, say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom, nothing broken, nothing missing. Shalom, nothing broken, nothing missing. But notice what he said. The way that you bless is you say to them. Now, I want to remind you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said this. He said, we beg you in Christ's place. We beg you in Christ's stead. In other words, he said, we are speaking for God. Now, as parents, when you speak a blessing over your children, what do you say? You say, the Lord bless you. Who are you speaking for? You're speaking for God. And you're supposed to speak what God says about your children. And when you speak those words, the Lord bless you, you are speaking for God. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord prosper you. The Lord deliver you. The Lord give you. You see, you, you begin to speak those words and you're speak, when you speak what God says in his word about your children, you are speaking in God's place. And it changes destinies. It changes lives. Right? And we've got the power to bind the enemy. But we've also got the power to loose the blessing of God. Prayer is not an act of desperation, but it is supposed to be God's divine plan for your family. Not just an act of desperation, but God's divine plan. Right? Uh, and, and let me just close with this. Just don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep praying. In fact, in, in Matthew 18, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. And he's teaching them to keep praying even when it seems like nothing's happening. Right? And so he says there's a certain judge in a city, and he doesn't fear God nor regard man. And there's a widow who keeps coming and keeps coming, but he doesn't do anything. But finally, this unjust judge who does not fear God, God or regard man, he says, she is going to wear me out. I'm going to give her justice just to shut her up. Right? And Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect to cry out to him day and night, though he bear long with them. And Jesus is saying, don't quit. Don't quit. In uh, 1923, Anthony Flew is born in England. He is the son of Methodist pastors. As he's growing up, they notice that he's an extremely bright child. He's sent to a prominent private boys' school 
founded by John Wesley. Now, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist denomination, started this private boys' school, Christian school. He goes to the Christian school. He, he, is, he is exceptionally bright. And at 15, he decides he's an atheist. And he begins arguing with friends and arguing with the teachers at the school against the existence of God. He goes on to Oxford University. At Oxford, he actually, at the Socratic Club, he debates C.S. Lewis against the existence of God. Right? He becomes the champion of the intellectual atheist. Literally, he becomes the number one intellectual atheist in the world. Published over 40 books and papers against the existence of God. Right? Now think about this. His parents are pastors. And he is the number one intellectual atheist, most intellectual atheist in the world. I can imagine what's going on down the street. They're saying, I wonder what's wrong with that pastor flu and his wife. Look at his, look at their kid, Anthony. Why? He's, a, he's an atheist. He's against God and he's constantly writing books and writing papers against God. Well, his parents, they died praying for him. In 2003, he is one of the signers of the Humanist Manifesto, the third one. I mean, he is the man. But in 2004, he changes his position. And he ultimately, he writes a book. I've got a picture of the book right here. I got my copy. It says, there is God. They came to him with DNA evidence. And when he saw the complexity of the human DNA, he said, I've always followed the evidence. He says, but what is obvious, he said, it doesn't matter how many trillions of years you have. It is impossible that this could have happened by accident. And so he writes his last book, There is a God. And then has N.T. Wright, the theologian, write the appendix, arguing for the divinity and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I want to say this. His parents are dead, but their, prayer, their prayers were still working. And in the end, Anthony flew, did more to bring people to the knowledge of God than if he had grown up and been a Methodist pastor. His parents' prayers were answered. And you may feel like you're praying and nothing's happening, but something's happening. Something is happening. As you pray, the Spirit of God begins to move. He begins to touch people's hearts. And he'll send laborers to them. He'll bring the, he may bring some DNA evidence, whatever it needs to be, to bring them to the knowledge of God. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? It's in uh, Psalms 56 in verse 9. I read this a few weeks ago, and it just jumped out on me. The psalmist said, this I know, because God is for me. I've talked to so many people who feel like God is mad at them, that God has rejected them, that God has abandoned them. But this I know. I know that God loves you. I know that God is reaching out to you. I know that God has not abandoned you, that it is not too late. 
See, people think I've done so much. I've gone so far. No, the devil is the one who comes to steal, to kill and destroy. Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. As Peter preaches the first sermon in Acts chapter two, this is what he said. He said, be saved from this perverse generation, not just from going to hell, but be saved from this perverse generation. There's some that are here today and you're crying out and your, your cry is, God, rescue me. Rescue me from the place that I've fallen into, from the things that have a hold on my life. Right? God doesn't just want you to end up in heaven. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom today. He wants to save us from this perverse generation. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom. He wants to come and make you new on the inside. The Old Testament prophet said this. God says, I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. God said, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Today, we're going to call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And God says, you call. He says, I'm going to listen. You call on his name today. You pray this prayer from your heart. And you may be away from God. You don't know where you stand with God. But when you pray this prayer from your heart and we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So I'm, if you can, I'm going to ask you to grab the hand of somebody that you're sitting next to. And I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer to make these words your own, to pray this out loud from your heart, say, oh God. If you're online, pray this, oh God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. He is my king and I'm gonna live for him every day. I thank you for saving me from this perverse generation. And I thank you that I begin today to live the good life that Jesus prepared for me. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.